Here with another Valhalla Movement Superhero Academy podcast. Um, so much going on this week, guys. Um, I, I want to before we start, before I introduce our guest, I want to remind you guys that I'm working on something called Green Seed. So if you visit GreenSeed.me, all one word, GreenSeed.me, we're putting together a platform that is catered to you. It's catered to sustainable initiatives. It's catered to social causes. It's something we've been working on for a while. It's not live yet, but if you go to greenseed.me, you're going to see a little bit of our visuals. You're going to see a little newsletter sign up. If you guys want to know more about it, check it out there. If not, go to ValhallaMovement.com, sign up for a newsletter there. Um, but today, I've got um, a, an incredibly special guest, somebody who's actually really inspired me um, in my trip to Colorado, or my numerous trips to Colorado recently. Um, and who I met there, and it's just kind of radically changed my perspective on what I should be doing to make the Valhalla movement move forward, on how I can, I can take small action steps to like making big, huge visions and dreams and like kind of uh, what I would call grand slam ideas come to life and actually be a possibility. Um, and he is the mastermind behind a whole bunch of different projects and ideas. I know he's got a whole bunch going on, but um, things you might have seen or stumbled across before. One thing is called the Life Balls, uh, but it's really part of something called the Kronos Project. And uh, it's a phenomenal idea that really helps kind of put your life into perspective. And I'll let him explain how that works. Um, he's also the founder behind Poster Brain, which is a great place where you can go and print posters, literally, that are shipped out to you uh, pretty much within 24 hours, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And... Um, he's worked on different apps. He, he knows everything. He, he's, he's well-versed in, in the world of sustainability. He's going to space apparently. Um, and, and uh, maybe I'll have him tell you that story. And he's also working on an app called time Vanna. Um, it's something that's going to be released, I guess, as this podcast is coming out. So, um, do you know what the URL is going to be for that? Yeah. So it's just timevana.com. So T I M E V A N A.com. So oh, timevana. Beautiful. So yeah. So what ended up happening? So how did, I mean, how did we meet? We, we, I came down for something we called elevate an, an event that you and, and Phil and a, and a group of others had kind of put together. Um, yeah. So, well, first of all, you know, thanks for having me, uh, having me on here. This is exciting. Um, to get to uh, communicate, even though it's one way, with uh, all your listeners uh, today. So, um, but yeah, we we met at uh, Elevate, which was this really cool event where we we brought some of the top young entrepreneurs in the world together. Kind of, we everyone asked, okay, who would you want to be friends with if you could be friends with anyone in the world mm. for like the next 20, 30 years? Who would you want to be friends with? And that's kind of how we came up with this event of like building world class lives together. And yeah. we had, as you know, we had an epic time and surprised everyone with a show at Red Rocks and mm -hmm. had a, uh, a big opening gala at this uh, private jet hangar, which is actually where I'm sitting right now as we do this interview. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and there was, you know, did a contest for a helicopter ride. And then 
Um, also, way low-key stuff. We rented a big uh, mansion and then all hung out, like sitting on pillows around the fireplace discussing life and balance and all these things. So mm-hmm. it was pretty incredible, man. And uh, you definitely made quite the impression on me as well. Yeah, I mean, if there's anybody in the world that I have like really felt connected to in such a short period of time, number one, because when I went to Elevate, I ended up staying at Eric's house um, with others, uh, Mike and, and Max and, and Carter, and all of which I work with now today and I still talk to today. Um, and what's, what's great was I just, I don't know, I just, we had, we had a, like a, one of the first days that was there, we ended up going to have a brunch. And we talked about some phenomenal ideas throughout my entire stay there. And you really um, progressed my own personal growth that I had to have you on this podcast because I just know that the ideas that you bring forth um, are super powerful. And by the way, that Elevate video is coming very soon. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet, um, dude. But yeah, so, so tell me a little bit about you're, you're, what are you going through right now? What are, what are you working on? What are some of your big ideas? And I would love to talk about um, this idea that we had over brunch, or this idea that you had uh, explained to me over brunch that first day that we actually met. So let's see here. Um, yeah. What I'm working on most right now is actually I'm launching an investment fund. And it's something I've been working on for in the long run, about 12 years, since I first played a stock market game in high school and got uh, very excited about investing and literally mm-hmm. have been trading my own money and working on this for, for 12 years and over the past two years have done everything I possibly could to, to make this fund happen. And finally, uh, literally, um, on Friday will be our first first trade for the official fund. Oh, so wow. it's, it, it's, uh, it's an investment fund with a long-term goal um, of adding massive value to the lives of these these investors, um, you know, through capital appreciation, but also building a network of investors that can help me um, with the long term goals. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that we talked at, about at that breakfast, like the idea of creating sustainable uh, floating cities called seasteads, um, which mm. you can you can do all kinds of really really cool stuff when you are forced to be sustainable. So when you're out on the ocean, um, we actually implement all at once all the sustainable technologies that we have. All the food would be grown on the seastead. Mm. There'd be zero there'd be zero trash. All the energy is completely green, um, and you can also try out new forms of currency, new forms of government, and. Uh, the ones that work will grow naturally. It's kind of like a modular idea of of letting the cities grow that are popular, that work. And then, of course, the ones that don't work will slowly go away. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's like a great like petri dish to just try out different things that we're going to need as this planet reaches 7 billion people. Mm-hmm. And the things, the things that work, we can, of course, roll back into society. So this, this hedge fund, believe it or not, is like a, a very first... Uh, uh, but major step in in being able to achieve that vision. Yeah, I remember you. I kind of explained to you Valhalla, and then I I think at one point I said something like, "It wouldn't it be awesome to like just have a city where you could just kind of change everything and 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 be in control of all the inputs and see if you can make it as sustainable as possible." And then you kind of unraveled your idea, and then I was like, "Whoa, how the hell are you going to make that happen? Like a floating island with all of these technologies is." I, to, techno, technically, for sure, doable, right? Like, we both agree that this is, even today, we, we have, like, kind of enough technology, we could probably do this today. Yeah, totally. And 
the next step was like, how does it become doable on a level of, of kind of uh, funding and getting people behind it and where, and, and like, who is going to allow you to do this? And, you know, where are you going to be able to like build this and then cast off from, do you have any of that figured out? I mean, you just mentioned the investment fund, the, the hedge fund being part of that investment side of it, which is, I think a brilliant solution to, to how you're going to have to make this happen and such a huge idea to happen. But what, you know, where have you envisioned like any more of like, do you have answers to where you would want this to be or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, there's the Seasteading Institute and there's Peter Thiel and a bunch of other guys, Silicon Valley guys have backed this institute and their whole purpose is to get all the pieces in place, like all the legal agreements between countries that mm. might want to support seasteads and, and provide defense and stuff like that. Um, and there's a bunch of seastead designs that are open source and a whole group of uh, architects, engineers. Um, there's, there's a guy locally here who has some really, really um, – uh, what's his name? Richard um, – Oh, I forget his name. Um, anyway, yeah, he has some really, really cool um, stabilizing designs mm -hmm. um, that allow you to have a much more stable platform than a boat. So, like, boats are designed to be efficient as they travel through the water. As they navigate, which, yeah. Which means they're, like, not that good as far as seasickness goes because they're not designed to be the most stable. Mm -hmm. But a seastead is not meant to be an efficient traveling device. It's just meant to float there. It can move so that it can move out of the way of storms, mm -hmm. but it doesn't need to be fast. So engineers have come up with really cool ways of making it stable so that it's comfortable to live on even if there's big waves going on so mm. there's all these other pieces that are happening out there the supporting pieces are actually uh being taken care of in major major ways um, but no one has yet sort of gone for it really yeah. built built one and had people live on it um, I believe there's a prize. I've, it's been a little while since I looked at it, but I think there's kind of an X prize for like the first hundred people that actually live on a seastead. You'll become like the first seastead, and there'll be a big plaque, and there's a, a some prize money. You know, some <laughs> oh, really? Ten million dollars or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of all uh, all everyone is moving these balls forward, and it's just going to reach this tipping point where I am certainly not going to be the only one doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think I have a particular gift for combining different technologies and different uh, areas of thought to to make something uh, that works and that's unique. And I've done that with Poster Brain and a lot of the other projects that I've done. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's kind of where the, all those those different elements are. Well, I, you know, it, it's a it's a lofty idea, and it, and it's very. I mean, it's such a it's such a like I say lofty, but it's such a grandiose idea. And it requires so many small steps to get to. And ironically, I don't think there's anybody in the world that has taught me a better lesson than you have about making these big ideas actually potentially come to life. Now, technically is one thing. Again, we, we can talk about the technical aspects of like, how is it going to float? Is it plastic? Is it this? Is it that? You know, where are you going to put your garbage? And I don't want to necessarily spend an entire podcast on that. Um, because I don't know, number one, if you have all the answers just yet. I mean, obviously part of this is a process of research and putting together the team and making that happen. But, um, you did tell me a phenomenal story. Um, and I know you've probably told the story a thousand times, but I feel like this story actually leads to how you particularly can get something like this done. But the reality is, is this, this exact method or, or methodology applies to how anybody can get any kind of vision together. And you ended up doing a talk at the Higher Purpose Project, which I thought was 
again, very eye-opening for many, many people and really kind of sets people on their path as to where and how they're going to make something happen tangibly. Um, but the story that you told me, um, and I started freaking out about at Elevate, <laughs> was uh, the fact that you were going to space. So, yeah. I mean, tell me a little bit about the background of that story, like, and then, you know, how that story actually developed and what's actually happening with that now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so that's like a perfect example of, you know, one of the, I guess the, well, there's a couple core principles, but one of the big ones is um, the bigger the goal, the easier it is to achieve. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of two components to that. One is that if it's this big, compelling goal, uh, you're not going to let little things stop you. You're not going to let, like, of course you're going to run into obstacles. You're doing this huge thing. So yeah, it's it, you're expecting you're expecting it. So it's not like it doesn't derail you. You're like, well, of course, this means I'm headed the right direction. Um, and also there's not as much competition. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more people willing to help and, and there's not as much competition for this, the resources that you need to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, uh, I think the other concept that you're, you're hinting at that I'll get to in the story is this, uh, is dumb action, basically mm-hmm. doing this, the smallest little tiny things that you possibly can. So, um, basically I had one of these big goals. Um, it all came from a conversation with Buzz Aldrin underneath the, um, Apollo rocket, uh, at NASA, <laughs> and, which is a whole other story. Of how yeah, totally. Happens. Yeah. Totally normal <laughs> conversation with Buzz Aldrin at NASA. Anyway. <laughs> so there's this thing that happens when you go to space where you look back at the earth and you kind of realize if we were flying through the stars searching as humanity for for utopia for a place that would be perfect for us to live like literally heaven um we you'd come upon earth and realize like this is it this place is perfect it's the perfect temperature it's got everything we need mm-hmm. it's absolutely gorgeous it's got oceans and jungles and waterfalls and dolphins and it's like got all the variety of food we could possibly want and and wildlife and it's just wild so um, and astronauts, whenever they go up there, they have this kind of profound, uh, emotional, almost spiritual change, uh, mm-hmm. where they get that and they realize how special it is and that they want to protect it. Like, Hey, we're on utopia. All we have to do is like not ruin it. Not so I, uh, I'm a photographer and that's, you know, one of my main ways of, of communicating and, and telling these type of stories. So, um, I was really thinking a lot about that. And as I was on, uh, uh, an airplane I was flying home um, I thought you know what I would love to go to space and take pictures that tell that story specifically rather than just like photojournalistic photos of space here's exactly what space looks like yeah do some more abstract try to evoke more emotion about our planet and about space so I was like I, my goal further. is to to go to space and to uh, tell this story mm-hmm. so that's a pretty lofty goal <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah not easy I, although we have sent people to space before, it's not like the uh, like the you know floating cities. The the idea behind that is is not been done before. But this is something that we have done. But I mean to to try and get the space is so few people who have gone. Um, so yeah. how, do, how do you get in the lineup? Right. So like, so so basically, yeah, question that's... That I'm sure everyone is thinking is like, how the fuck would you get to space right now? Like, tell me. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, that's a kind of a cool exercise. Like if everyone thinks about what's the stupidest little thing you could do that might get you closer to that goal. And the thing I wrote down, the very first thing I wrote down was to check Richard Branson's Twitter account. Mm-hmm. 
And really simple, <laughs> free, anyone could do it, takes five seconds. But I thought that's, that's a stupid little thing I could do. And I wrote down a ton of other little things. Like and I the, could. And the reason, so just to fill that story in, for the people who aren't uh, familiar with who Richard Branson is, I'm sure most people do know, he is the guy or the, the, the founder, I guess, of Virgin, um, and, but also Virgin Galactic. So Virgin, if you didn't know, has this kind of space program where they're trying to send they're kind of trying to be one of the first uh, private companies that sends tourists to space. Uh, SpaceX is another private space company that's run by Tesla, and that's a beautiful story that you also have. Um, but the but the reality is that um, you know Virgin is really trying to kind of make going to space an actual thing, um, an actual like experience that you could buy in the same way that you would go to Alaska or Mexico or something. Um, Although that experience obviously is not something that has really launched, number one. Um, they're in kind of beta phases or test phases of that. And number two, it's obviously incredibly expensive. It's not, not something that is available to every, anyone. And there is obviously a large list of people who would love to be a part of this. Um, so it's very tough to kind of get on that list and figure out how to, how to make uh, how to actually be a part of this this kind of mission or something like that. So yeah, anyway, sorry to interrupt your story. No, 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 it's all good. So basically, as soon as I as soon as I landed, I literally unlocked my phone, turned off airplane mode, and checked his uh, Twitter account and saw that he was going to be doing a anniversary a 15th anniversary party in Miami for Virgin Atlantic. Mm. And they were bringing the whole crew from Virgin Atlantic over and, and doing this big party at the Versace Mansion. And uh, and it sounded absolutely incredible. And so I thought, I'm going to try to crash that party. That sounds awesome, you know? And uh, and I'll pitch him on my idea. And if he says no, like worst case scenario, I get to go to, to Miami. Heck, mm. even if I don't get into the party, I got to say that I Miami. tried. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. I got to try. It's like $200 for the plane ticket, whatever. That's that's totally worth the, the effort, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I booked the ticket and, uh, you know, a couple days later, I find myself in Miami. And, you know, one of the other things that I teach is that, you know, once you have this goal, you got to get as resourceful as possible. So who do you know? Uh, what do you know? What could you Google? What, you know, like, who could you ask that might help with this? Mm. Um, and so it turned out that, you know, through, through researching what was going on, what else was happening in Miami, everything, I find out that there's a um, a charity event that he's doing as well um, earlier that night. And through my company, Poster Brain, we actually built a couple schools in Nepal um, years ago um, through, a company, uh, through a charity called Room to Read. Oh, wow. I so even, I found, didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. It was, it was a super fun project. Um, I still haven't ever been over to see them, uh, but I would love to go sometime. One day. Yeah, You'll see them from space. <laughs> totally, there you go. Now that's a cool goal. To yeah, picture those from space. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, so anyway, I find out there's a charity event beforehand, um, where with a mutual connection to uh, you know another charity. So I find myself basically. Uh, long story short, I do find my way into the charity event before, and my plan is to stay there for the party. <laughs> mm. So I end up in the uh, study of the Versace mansion. It's straight up like out of the game of Clue or something. It was <laughs> wild. There's always, you know, smells of mahogany and there's books and, you know, it's like the most interesting man in the world. Did they have, wait, wait, did they have the sliding ladder? 
Probably. I don't remember specifically, <laughs> but yeah. That, see, that was. to me is the definition of a successful library. I don't know why. There's something that calls <laughs> to me that I need to have this library full of books, and then one day I have to have this sliding ladder. But somehow, every once in a while, I need to go and get a book. Um, I love anyway, it. Yeah, I don't know why. It's something I love. But yeah, that's so, awesome. That's sorry, awesome. So I like the sliding ladder as a definition of success. <laughs> yeah, it is for me. It is. That's great. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so it's funny because like as I was going up to uh, to go into the event, I mean, I did not think this was going to work at all. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going up to the security guy, you know, he's looking at me like I'm definitely not going to let you in. And then I'm like, I'm on the list, you know. And he checks, and sure enough, I'm on the list. And then he changes his mood completely, and he's like, Oh, come on in, you know. And, um, I go into this uh, study and it's so funny because it was like eight other entrepreneur hustlers like me. Mm. Like it was totally other people who got themselves somehow in that room. They saw the same opportunity that I saw mm-hmm. and, and got themselves there so one way or another. And it was so funny because we're all looking at each other like, did you, do, did you get in here too? Like, who are you? Like, what's this? And we're all actually still, <laughs> still friends. We all actually still communicate. And this really? is a, a couple years ago. At this point, and uh, yeah, so it was so cool. And we were all so nervous and everything. And the CEO of Virgin Atlantic is there, and the CEO of, you know, these different like Virgin companies are just there hanging out, and they're just mm-hmm. completely chill. And then uh, uh, Branson comes in um, with a supermodel on his arm, nonetheless, <laughs> as as normal. But it was so cool because he was actually completely down to earth. He he was super cool, and he literally he knew that we were all there. And he wanted to help us uh, with whatever we were doing. He wow. knew we were all hustlers. He knew we got in that room somehow. And, um, and so he actually sat down. We all went, like, literally got in a circle. And, and he's like, tell me about you. Tell me about what you're working on and how I can help. And, like, if I didn't already think of him highly, that, like, sent me literally to the moon. Because he, uh, you know, I was so afraid. Like, who am I to ask him for something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and to have the exact opposite sort of reaction where he created this space where we could all kind of share what we're working on and what we're passionate about was incredible. And it definitely taught me an important lesson of leadership, you know? And how long did he, like, actually sit down with you guys for? Like, he, I mean, if you guys were eight people, you must have had a, a, a good amount of time there, right? Yeah, it was probably two hours. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was incredible. So, you know, we each kind of talked about what we were doing and uh, – and I told him, you know, kind of the story I just just told you about, mm-hmm. um, you know, our planet as utopia, and wanting to tell that story with my photography. And and you know, he said, look, if you if you got yourself in this room, and you know, that's your vision, that sounds great. Come find me after this and show me your photos. I want to see, you know, what your photos look like, and then then we'll talk. So I was like, okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, amazing. And, yeah, we had some just amazing discussions with our group, and then right at the end. Uh, after you know everyone's starting to go out into the party and there's now a huge party happening at the Versace mansion out by the pool mm-hmm. everyone's starting to move out there and so I show him my photos and he was just immediately like impressed and he's like wow these are incredible this is you know exactly you know this is great so he took me to uh to his assistant and had her connect me to the uh, team at Virgin Galactic Amazing. so yeah and uh and uh one other funny little uh, story I guess is that then I walked out um at the party and uh and I was just hanging out with all these Virgin Atlantic employees and everything and everyone's just hanging out and then there's this this uh really cute um blonde girl that it was in the room with all of us and didn't say anything mm. 
and I didn't know who she was, you know, so no one's talking to her at all. And I'm just thinking, why is no one talking to her? So, uh, you know, went up and started talking to her. I was like, Hey, you didn't, you know, you didn't share anything. What's, uh, are you an entrepreneur or how did you, you know, what, did you have something to pitch to Branson or whatever? Mm-hmm. She's like, Oh, I'm the, I'm the musical guest for tonight and stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, can't wait to hear you play. And then I go, I go back down, I go back and she had to go on stage or whatever. And so I go and sit down and these, the guys at my table are like freaking out. They're like, do you know who that was? What the heck? And I was like, no, I don't know. They're like, that was Ellie Goulding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? That's so funny. <laughs> and I didn't know who she was at the time. Obviously, no. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't as big, uh, you know. Well, and the other thing just, is like her face isn't, um, like it's not like she's not Brad Pitt or, or Angelina Jolie or whatever. Like she's not in that level of like you recognize her face right away kind of thing. Like I totally. know what she kind of looks like, but I don't know if I would be able to pull her out out of a pile of a hundred blondes. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally, totally. So that was pretty. That was pretty cool. And we had an awesome weekend, and just basically the group of us got to party with with them the entire weekend. There was multiple multiple parties at different hotels all around Miami, and they shot like a Miami Vice thing on a speedboat, and it was just like an epic weekend. Wow. So they c- connected me to the Virgin uh, Galactic team. And then I'm also connected to the um, spaceport, which this, uh, you know, the the state authorities, whatever, built. Mm-hmm. So basically the current status is I'm working on opening a gallery there. Wow. And I don't know when, but I, uh, I'm working on basically a deal with, uh, with Virgin Galactic to have kind of a profit share for the gallery uh, mm-hmm. for me being able to go up in the, in the spacecraft. And all that being said, everything is always in flux. So things keep changing, and it's been 18 months for the past several years, and it's still supposedly 18 months. So we'll see what actually happens and when the spacecraft launches. But uh, once things actually get moving and I can open the gallery, um, it's gonna things are going to start happening quick. So I'm super excited about that. I mean, it, it's not even – whether you even go at this point or not, which I know you're going to go. I know it's going to happen. I know <laughs> – you know what I mean? Like, oh, and I'm so, number one, I have to say, top of my impossible list is go to space, okay? It's number one, number one thing. <laughs> so I always, when he told me this story, I freak. You should have seen me light up. Everyone, we were coming back from Red Rocks at Elevate. It was like late in the, into the night. We're driving through a snowstorm in the mountains in, in like near uh, Keystone, Colorado, I guess. And we're, we're, he's just telling me the story and I'm lighting up like as if, oh man, like I couldn't believe it. I was, um, partially <laughs> not, I don't want to say jealous. I was never jealous. I was just like in awe of the fact that you were able to do something like that. And people like, um, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, these people are like, they're like my heroes. Like I, I you know, I, I started something called the superhero Academy because I really want to breed and help create out of anyone who's willing to listen um, the, the, the inner superhero that everyone has inside of them. I believe that I have it inside of me. I believe that it's inside of you, Eric, for sure. I believe it's inside of everyone who's listening. And it's just a question of you channeling into it and then taking the small actions. You call the dumb action, which is a great um, uh, you know, word for it, that leads you slowly but surely towards that, those goals writing them down and then kind of knocking them out slowly but surely one after the other is the only way that you're ever going to achieve your goals and you're ever really going to know them for real, you know, and you are the perfect example of that. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's, that's huge. And, uh, 
I, I love to talk about this too because it keeps me accountable. So I keep uh, <laughs> I keep living by what I teach because it really does work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's scary. But one of the other elements that that goes into all this is like, you know, I of course taught this at HPP is the idea that you write down like the zillions of little and big things that you can do to help make your goal happen. Yeah. So that it's not like a every single step has to work perfectly. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't work. It's yeah. like you have a hundred pathways to get there. All roads and, lead to Rome kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. like if you're like, oh, wait, that didn't work. Oh, let me look at my list of 2,000 other things I can try. And yeah. so it's not a list of to-dos that once you have them all checked, you'll do it. It's like, hey, I'm headed. I know where I'm going. Uh, these are all things that would help me get there. And as long mm-hmm. as you're getting closer to your goal every single week, month, year, you will get there at some yeah. point. I've always, you know, what's been funny. I've always considered my goals almost like uh, a target. Okay. And now everyone's like, oh, goals and target. Wow. Cliche. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but I, I actually see it as a target where there's concentric rings around that target. And to, to, to make that goal happen in those rings is doors. Okay. And outside of the entire target is water. And I always say that when you open a door, you're allowing a certain amount of water to fill up that, that area of the target, right? So the outermost crust of that ring is going okay. to be kind of the, you know, uh, there's going to have the most amount of doors, right? And it's going to have the most amount of pressure from all the water and the weight of your goal being like you wanting to get there. And so that weight is going to be heaviest at that moment, but you're going to have the most amount of options towards taking a small step to getting towards that goal. True. Okay. That's cool. And yeah, it's, yeah. you open one door and then the, the, the water starts filling in, but it fills in only at the size of the door, right? Like that door only lets in a certain amount of water. So if you're able to open like four or five doors, then that whole zone is going to fill in real quick. And now it's taking that same pressure and putting it onto the next level of that target and slowly but surely getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And as it gets smaller, there's, small, there's less and less doors, right? Like there's less and less people that you can talk to to get to space. Uh, you could have started anywhere. You started with Richard Branson's Twitter. That was the biggest circle. And then you ended up with like, I need to speak to Richard Branson and get him to say, okay. That was the last kind of door really, basically. And you just kind of flowed through all those doors in your story. So if I recap your story, it's like Richard Branson's Twitter, buying a ticket to, to the, to the event, figuring out that there is um, a, a pre-party that's involved in a charity that you've done work with before getting your name on that list, getting inside that room, then pitching him. And then the last kind of doors were like showing him your pictures and, you know, so doing those last little steps to make it all happen. And you flooded through that kind of all those gates and all those, those rings quickly on some, on a goal like that. And the reality is that with Valhalla or with anything I've ever done or with any goal that I've ever seen other people do, it always kind of flows in that exact same way. And just the more doors that you can open and, and see it that there's infinite amounts of doors, you just need to find the right keys to the right doors and just try and open as many as you possibly can slowly but surely. Realize that the more you do that, the actual closer you get to that goal. That is phenomenal, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's <laughs> I will never forget that. That is so cool. I've never had like a cool visualization for what you, you just described, even though, of course, I've experienced it. That is, that is really cool. You've experienced it. And I, I, there's so many people who have experienced it, but I've never seen somebody uh, actually explain it. And what I sometimes do is every once in a while, if I write a goal in the middle, like I'll, I'll take like a blank piece of paper, write the goal right down in the middle, and I'll start making rings. 
And I'll be like, okay, well, who's swirling around that goal? And like, what are the, the different layers of that goal that need to happen to make it possible? And slowly but surely, I just work at like chipping away at all those, those rings by like opening up different doors and letting the water fill in and flood and put pressure on the other ones. And, you know, it's not like a lot of, of you know, the, you'll hear this in business a lot. Business is not about what you know, it's about who you know, right? Well, that applies to less businessy conversations too, which is just life is about, in certain cases, who you know. And who you know can unlock so many different doors and so many pathways to that same exact goal that you might set for yourself. Ah, that's a cool way of looking at it too. That just like there are infinite doors mm-hmm. and that all these things you're learning and, and all the actions, small actions you take have that overall effect of creating the more pressure on the inner layer, like you're, like you're talking about. Yeah. And you're, you're just honing in on it. And so what you do is you're breaking down your goal, right? So you, you, you broke it down into small steps and you did that intuitively, which is, which is why you're a phenomenal person. But for most, we sometimes, and, and, and I'm sure in, even as an intuitive person, sometimes you need to just sit down and be like, shit, what am I going to do here? And if you think about, don't think about just how the hell am I going to jump this cliff by why well, I'm on this side of the cliff or I'm on the edge of the cliff here and I need to get the other side. Don't think about that. Think about how can you make the bridge that gets there. Think about how you can make the rings or what those rings are that hone in on that small goal and then feel where those floodgates can open, like feel where you can actually make that pressure in and come in and, and close in on that goal. And by the time you're at the last couple of steps, it's going to get actually easier. It sounds crazy, but that pressure is really coming in and, and forcing down on that small little empty space in the middle that will eventually get filled up with your dreams. You know what I mean? Like, and, and your, your aspirations will, will fill that spot, that void. Um, that's, that's awesome. Totally totally true. And, and I, you know, I appreciate the compliment, but also, uh, you know, I definitely don't do this all in my head. It's like, uh, I, I, I love the saying that the mind is a terrible place to think because we, <laughs> <laughs> we get ourselves thinking things are impossible or too big or too small or, or this or that. We just attach all this weird meaning to stuff until we get it down on paper. Like, okay, mm. what do I actually want? What would it actually take? What could I actually do with the resources I currently have to help make that happen? Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm a big proponent. No matter what method you use, you know, get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper or into a program. Somehow. Into something, something, somewhere. You should definitely write it down. I mean, I think that's step number one of like achieving anything is writing it down somewhere. And that's that's all. The, this whole conversation is definitely tied to why I feel so compelled to do Time Vana, mm-hmm. because so many people don't have these tools, or if they do, they're segregated. They use maybe Evernote for a piece of it, and they yeah. use a piece of paper for one, and, and like Wonderlist for have, the other. Mm-hmm. They have like their their life stuff, like oh, I'm a I'm a an employee, I'm a brother, I'm a, and I, they have like to dos related to that, but that aren't related, or they don't have a system to relate it to their goals and their fulfillment and the way they want to live their life Mm. and then they don't they confuse that with their lists and their habits and it's it gets really confusing so basically that's the that's the pain point that i'm going after because it's something that i've had to figure out in my own life and i know that it's a pain point for a lot of other achievers or just people that want to live kind of the juiciest life they possibly can Mm -hmm. you know it's funny when you when you say all these things i i can't help but feel so much synchronicity and I use that word very uh, specifically because, um, I mean, you're, you're behind something called the Life Balls, but the, rea- the reality is it's called really the Kronos Project. 
Yep. And it seems like a lot of what you do swirls around kind of two chief ideas. Number one, you only have a limited amount of time in your life, so you might as well try things, right? Like, True. It seems like that's part of your motivation is that, that like, oh, there's a certain amount of time that we have and there's a certain amount of like essence that we can only capture in certain moments, right? That's what's, that's what's beautiful about a video or a picture is that you capture that moment. Um, that's what's beautiful about the Kronos Project, the Life Balls, which is that, you know, what the Life Balls are, um, actually, I'll let you explain it. How about that? Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so the idea, and we're going to change the name to uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to Mindful Marbles, but you're right, it's called yes. uh, called Life Balls. But basically... Mindful Marbles, we'll go with that, yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so the idea is, um, there's this story going around, and if you Google it, it's called A Thousand Marbles, or if you go to the Kronosproject.com, we have it on the homepage too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, the story of a thousand marbles, and it's this idea that each marble is one week of your life. And so as you live your life, you have this jar of marbles, let's say on your desk or at home, and each week on like say Saturday morning, you would pull out one of the marbles and really think about the week that you just lived. Think about all the struggles, all the magic moments, all the things you achieved, all the things you felt, all the things you did, and and you know, be thankful for that that gift. And then you throw it away. Mm-hmm. Because it it really brings to mind, hey, you know, you don't get that marble back. So it really brings this like um, positive or negative, depending on how you look at it, pressure that, hey, look, you're not going to live forever and each marble matters. Mm-hmm. And one of the coolest uh, uses that I've heard so far is uh, there's a, a couple that's uh, friends with me. And as soon as I came out with this, they were the, one of the first customers and they ordered this and, um, you know, they had been getting in arguments. And as soon as um, they got... Uh, into the habit of doing this every week uh, when they got into this one really, really big argument. And uh, um, I can't remember who it was. One of them turned to the other one and said, is this how we want to spend our marble? Like we only have so many marbles together. Is this the way we want to spend it? And then it completely ended the fight and has, has changed the way that they interact Mm -hmm. in a significant way, which is pretty profound. So it's a little bit different for everyone and how they use it and how they think about it. But it adds this mindfulness, this consciousness to like, hey, I only get this once. I better do what I want to do. I better fucking go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, so, so that brings me to my second point. So the first one is that there's a limited amount of time. And I love the Kronos Project because it points out that it, it makes you or reminds you and tells you about that limited amount of time in a very... Um, kind of over and over and over again kind of way because that's the whole thing is that every you know weekend or whatever Monday or whatever day you pick you pull out one of those marbles and it it puts you back in that in that awareness again consistently and I love it um, but the second thing that seems to really motivate you and and I w- a word that I would describe or use to describe you is that you're an explorer you like to it seems like you like to take an idea and run with it and see how far the rabbit hole goes and and learn about its intricacies and just be just be that that person who is curious about the world and about the things around them and then wants to be a part of all of them and see how how you can help propagate them or how, or what you can do to be a part of it right as as kind of Kennedy would would say is like what don't ask what your country could do for you but what you could do for your country well the same applies to little things little projects what about you know organic food if you believe in organic food well what can you do 
to help the organic food movement or be a part of organic food in any way, shape, or form. Whether it just means that you're going to buy it and consume it, or maybe you're just going to grow a little bit, or maybe you're going to write a little blog and share it on some, on some you know, Reddit or something like that. There are so many small things that people can do to get behind something, and you just seem to just try and take the biggest idea in that and then try and knock it out of the park and really um, be as, as good as you could be in those, in those fields. Definitely. I mean, I, I, it's, it's just what gets me going. It's natural. It's just, uh, you know, I'm compelled mm-hmm. to, to do these big things. Um, even before I ever thought about it, but yeah, I think you're definitely hitting on it. I I'm like just insatiably curious. I just want to know more and more. And also like, I like in a very big sense to think, how can I leave things better than I found it? Mm. You know, and whether that be customers of one of my businesses or like literally the whole planet, or wow. someone I'm in a relationship with or having dinner with, like how can I leave that person or that situation or anyone I interact with better off? Wow. And it, it's such a simple little question, but if you ask it, it's it's pretty so if you talk about like organic food, you know, mm-hmm. if everyone just asks like, you know, how could I leave, you know, things better than I found it or how could I improve that whole ecosystem? You could do almost any little thing and uh, and and have that um, feeling of connection to that whole movement. This is you. Oh man, you always inspire me to write something down. Awesome. <laughs> I'll leave things better. <laughs> I've been writing down a lot as you're talking too. <laughs> Amazing. Which is funny because we spent like two weeks together talking nonstop, and yet we still are. Uh, ah, dude, I think well, I could spend <laughs> I could spend many, many, many moons with you. <laughs> um, going back and forth on ideas. I mean, I remember one night we ended up spending talking about uh, Tesla towers and we talked about um, perpetual energy, right? Or, or um, kind of how can we create a source of energy that would enable humanity to thrive and so that we can kind of step away from this discussion of peak oil or whatever. Like what can we do to leave things better than they were before, right? Um, yeah. That so- – yeah, we, you know, talking about, and, and we're actually really moving there, even just with solar, but, uh, you know, we were talking about some pretty, pretty out there, cool stuff about <laughs> yeah. capturing heat, like the heat differential between space and our atmosphere. And there's all kinds of really huge sources of energy that as humanity, if we had it as a goal, we could, we could definitely tap into, but we're not right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that's, that's huge is like, if, if more people really understood that like you're allowed to think big and like do stuff and like you're allowed to organize groups of people that are inspired to, to reach these outcomes that as humanity, we're not in trouble at all. Like we have, we have so many resources and so many, so much intelligence and such gifts already given to us that the f- problems we're facing are small if you look at it from the right lens. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. fun. They're like, oh, this is cool. This is a compelling problem. Like saving the planet is worth it, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, and we have to see, we have to stop seeing it as the big thing or that, or that, that center ring and trying to figure out how to get to it. We need to see it from the small steps. Right. What can I do to make it possible today? What can I do to open a door today? What can I do to get closer to that goal today? Because, you know, it's like I, I was reading a, an actual a blog on ValhallaMovement.com um, that one of our members wrote. It's, it's um, why, why we keep pressing the snooze button on climate change. Right. <laughs> that's kind of what's going on. Like, yeah, no climate change is going down. We're not really acting upon it, though. And. A lot of people feel like the problem, the, the main gist of this article kind of covers 
is that a lot of people feel that the main problem has been science, right? That this is a scientific problem that engineers and, and architects and, and people related to the science community are going to be the, the people who have to figure this out. And the reality is that it's not that at all. It's actually a, sh a social problem. What we are really faced with is a social problem and a policy problem. We are not taking the, we're not answering that alarm. We're just pressing snooze on it individually. And because we're doing individually and we're not putting enough pressure on our politicians and our policymakers to change these things, then it just becomes a policy issue at that moment as well. Where we have the technology, we know we can do things to change this reality today, and we can, we can start implementing it today, but we're not because we're just kind of waiting for when that social, like when we're all socially going to jump on Noah's Ark kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when do we all run into Noah's Ark and, and getting on there? Um, because it's it's there. We're facing it. There's no doubt about the fact that we're facing it. Um, I, that's why I love, you know, when you tell me you want to go to space, you don't just want to go to space to go to space. You actually have a reason behind it. There is a why to it. Um, and it's funny because I'm missing that why to some degree. I don't have that story. I don't know really why I want to go to space. I just, I, I, I kind of, I can explain it, but not. I, it's not tangible enough yet, and that's why it's not happening just yet. But I'll get there first of all. I think that I think that hits on the, what you just talked about about Noah's Ark and all this. Like you just described, I think most people don't understand quite why mm -hmm. we we need to start acting now from an individual basis and opening those doors to the target. You know, yeah. Um, they sort of have a feeling that they would like to not have global warming happen, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but they don't know what to do about it or why they should do anything about it. Like they just, they just, it's like a crippling, uh, amb ambiguity, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that are starting to happen. Those doors are starting to open. I mean, solar right now is cheaper than coal. So it's, 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 things have happened and, and, and if, if you get the people behind it that are like, Hey, government build this, Hey, it's cheaper. Look, look, um, something that strikes me recently that's like changed dramatically because people decided it should is like uh, the whole gluten-free, um, mm -hmm. kind of craze, if you will. It's just a good example of like, Hey, when people actually start asking for gluten-free stuff or they start actually caring about that. It changes the entire marketplace. And people don't think they have uh, an impact, but they absolutely do. The restaurants, the whole food distribution industry didn't really have a reason to do that mm -hmm. uh, until people started asking. And now, like at least here in Boulder, which is pretty it's ahead of its time place, but um, you know, we every single restaurant has a gluten-free menu and you can get gluten-free everything. And so I see that as a, a microcosm of, hey, if we want global uh, energy you know, rebalancing or, or the ways that we actually pollute or we just have to start incentivize. Yeah, we have yep. to ask for it. Well, and, and and see, you brought up such a great example because I, I love that you brought the gluten example. And part of it is because gluten got also popularized and made sexy. It became a trend. It became something that that a lot of people got behind. And I always I always say to people like, you realize that YouTube didn't exist ten years ago. <laughs> realize that iPhones did not exist 10 years ago and yet how many people have them how many people got behind this trend and are like consuming it to to the nth degree now we all consume it at different degrees and not everyone is going to get the latest iPhone 6 that comes out in I don't know September or whatever but what we are going to do is 
potentially get the Android that is also as good. And we're going to move the technology of what this means and how this works and, and the infrastructure of, of you know, smartphone technologies further and further and further and further. So the exact same thing needs to just happen with things that we haven't been looking at, that we've kind of overlooked for so long, right? You know, it's like, how often do we really think about how efficient our toothbrush is? We don't because we brush our teeth and we just get on to the next thing. How often do we look at how efficient our homes really are? We don't really care about it because as long as it's not leaking in, you know, there's not water coming in from the rain or, or, or cold coming in from the, from the snow or the winter, we, we just kind of don't really care about it all that much as long as it's the right temperature, the right environment. But as an environment gets squeezed in more and more and more, we're going to have to make that trend. We're going to have to make sustainability mainstream via the fact that we're going to make it cool. I, I think making sustainability cool, making these types of housings, whether it be like an Earthship or uh, a cob house or a straw bale or, or anything of that nature. Okay. And even if, whether it just be conventional housing with just better materials and led light bulbs or whatever, all of those things are moving in the right direction, but we just have to make it actually a cool thing. We have to make it like Instagram worthy. You know yeah, what I mean? And totally. when we do that, that's going to, it sounds crazy, but that's exactly when we're all going to jump on Noah's Ark. You know, I think we're close to the tipping point. You just reminded me of this this uh, thing that just just happened recently. I was at the downtown project mm-hmm. in uh, in Las Vegas. Super I'm, cool project. I'm going there next week, so oh, I, I'll be I'll be there. I'll see you there. Really? Ah, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Sweet. <Awesome. laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, uh, we were you know there you know having uh, having lunch at the. Um, Container Park, which is super cool. Mm. Um, and then uh, my friend. Uh, Andrea, she had a glass mug, okay. a stainless steel straw, and a fold-out metal stainless steel spork. Wow! And she she had the restaurant, you know, fill her her, her you know drink mm-hmm. instead of using a cup, and she had uh, and used the spork instead of like the plastic fork. Oh! And the the reason this is compelling or important is because. Everyone around us was asking questions. Everyone around us is like, whoa, that's what it looks like. Mm. Like they wanted to know. They wanted to know what it looked and felt like. Kind of like I imagine if people went to an Earthship, they'd be like, they're like people like? Are, are really close to that tipping point where they're like, they weren't making fun of her. They weren't, it was like, they were, they were into it. They were like, that's cool. Where do you get one? How, how like, I can't believe I've never thought of that. Absolutely. I, I feel the exact same way. I mean, this, this is happening. It is happening. You know, if I think of just Earthships in Quebec, okay, last year when we were talking about Earthships, people were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're fucking crazy, tires uh, tires and, ho- and housing and like, what? Like, what are you saying? And <laughs> I was just like, look, guys, just chill out. Like, this actually works. There's been hundreds built before. And even if there wasn't, we built one of the Quebec's only certified Earthship, basically stamped by an architect and an engineer, okay? The only one that has been done that like that. And last year... We were like one of two or three Earthships that were being built in Quebec, okay? There were all of these greenhouse models, but they were designed by us, basically. And all of them were designed by us. This year, there's like 10 of them going up. And I don't even know where all of them are. Like, it's, it's <laughs> happening just because the fact that, like, there was a, there was a um, in, in kind of business or whatever, we call it the, the, um, the uh, opinion leader, right? There was like a leader that took on and the early adopters that went in and took this, this project on and then kind of made it slowly but surely get to the masses. 
And I believe that we are coming out of the early adopter phase slowly but surely. And we're going into like the early, you know, we're kind of getting into that, that zone where the masses are going to start getting behind some of these ideas more and more and more. Um, and there's awesome. many reasons why I think, right? Like why is affordable housing now entering into people's minds more sustainable housing? Well, part of it is because of their education of climate change and these kind of things. That's definitely part of it. But I think even another huge part of it is like people can't afford the houses that are being built today. Like there's so many homes that are in Boulder or in Montreal or wherever. And it's like a very standard home and it's like half a million dollars. And you're like, shit, like really? I'm going to have to spend half a million dollars for this home that's going to be more and more inefficient. Energy prices are going to continuously rise. Like, is there a way that I can build a cheaper home or better home, even if it's not cheaper, but a better home that will serve my needs better in this climate and in this area? And people are finding, and I'm not saying earthships are the answer. I'm just saying that they're part of it. And, but they are finding those answers more and more and more. And I find that super inspiring for me um, just to know that, you know, people are getting behind these ideas uh, significantly in significant ways. And they're trying, they're exploring, they're, they're playing that. And I love, you know, I love the story of the mug and the spork. That's, that's phenomenal. That's, that's exactly what we need. Totally. And it's, it's definitely right on the verge of being, being actually being cool and turning yeah. into a trend, you know? Exactly. And, and I can see people definitely, there's like the community element that's growing mm-hmm. and the sustainability. And so when you combine those two and you have, you know, people are starting to realize, hey, if I buy some big house that I can't afford, that means I have to commute for hours and hours to get to my job, like I'm going to be freaking miserable and trapped because I have this mortgage. Mm. You're like, wait a minute, I could live in this sustainable thing that's actually getting earth back to the way it needs to be. I yeah. get to be around cool, conscious people also mm-hmm. who are going to help me improve as a, as a person. And, you know, I, I, I don't have to um, move further away from where I want to live just so that I can buy a bigger house to impress my friends. Like, yeah, I think getting rid of all that sounds good. I'm going to do this other option, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you, you mentioned something that I feel is actually an important topic and something I was thinking about um, two or three days ago, which is there's so many people ask me about the Valhalla community, right? They're like, oh, well, what is the community going to be like? Like how many houses, how many people are going to be able to live there? And they're asking me like the very tangible on the ground, like at Valhalla Montreal, like at the piece of land or whatever. That's the kind of questions that they ask me. And recently I decided to shift my answer. And I used to answer it. I used to be like, well, you know, hopefully maybe, you know, at least 30 homes and something like that. And we're going to keep most of the land, like two thirds of it is going to be permaculture and like park type space, common communal areas with a sustainability learning center and blah, 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 blah. I used to answer like the very tangible answer, but I still am going to tell people those details because I know they have the curiosity for them. But I'd like to start that, that answer as follows, which is, the reality is that the community of Valhalla and the community of sustainability as a mindset already exists and consistently exists. And the only difference that it really takes from, for you to be a part of the community or not part of the community is that small little dumb action that says, I am part of the people who value sustainability and I play my small role in bringing my mug to Starbucks to have them refill that as opposed to giving me that plastic cup or that, that you know, paper cup. I am the type of person who's going to research these things. I'm going to pick the organic option versus the non-organic option. Or I'm going to try and just consume a little bit less or take the bus instead of the car today. Or, you know, 
it takes small actions. It doesn't mean that you have to like build an airship today. It doesn't mean you have to go and buy a giant piece of land and start practicing permaculture. You might, but the reality is that you, you can do it even in small ways today by just reducing your impact and by being mindful of the things that you do and joining that sustainability mindset. Because the second you do, now the community is, is limitless. The community of people really behind the sustainability movement can be 7 billion, really. And, and we just need to kind of get there through, through compelling stories and through, you know, also supporting the people who are doing the right things, right? You know, the, the, if you see somebody who's doing something really awesome, find a way to support them. And um, I want to, we're getting kind of towards the end of the hour, and I want to actually extend that support out to saying that the people who are listening to this right now, you guys have a limited time frame. And I know you guys have that explorer mindset that Eric and I also have, right? We, we, uh, I'm, we're going to talk more about it next week and I'm super excited about that. Um, but we have just chosen to follow our passions and to consistently try things. And it's not to say that every key that we find is going to unlock every door that we, we try and put it into. They don't. We're not necessarily the people who have all the answers on how to get to space or how to build, you know, how to make sustainable mainstream. But what we do know is we're going to try and we're going to explore. And that we have a limited amount of time that we can do that in. So we might as well value that time that we have today. So anybody who's listening to this, um, I'm going to pick two people. Two people who are going to get the mindful marbles. I'm going to call them mindful marbles uh, in, in light of your, your soon-to-be uh, <laughs> you know, uh, marketing change, I guess, or, or branding change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to actually buy Mindful Marbles for two people who are listening. And I want you to write an email to info at valhallamovement.com. Info at valhallamovement.com. You can read the story, thechronosproject.com. And I will send two Mindful Marbles to two listeners who are, are going to send me why they are going to get or why and how they're going to get behind the sustainability movement. All right. So anybody I- who's listening... Yeah. Can I put a cherry on top of that? Yeah, go for it. For those same two people, they'll get uh, three months of Timevana for free mm. as well. Oh, awesome. See, there you go. <laughs> now we, got, we gave you the incentive to go check it out, timevana.com. Uh, by the time this podcast is out, you should be able to listen to, or be able to go and check out the app um, and, and visit that. And like I said, two people – Info at ValhallaMovement.com. I will let Eric know who those two people are, and we'll make sure that you get your goods. Um, But let us know why and how you're going to get behind the sustainability movement. It can be the smallest of answers. It can be one sentence. It can be a paragraph. Just send us why, and we'll pick two people out of those people. And thank you so much, Eric, for being another shining beacon of inspiration for me, um, for hopefully all the listeners, and for just even for yourself, man. Hey, thank you, buddy. Uh, I can't, I uh, don't know quite how to respond to that, but thank you so much. It's been awesome to be, uh, to be on here and I can't wait to hang out next week. Yeah, totally looking forward to that. Very, very excited about that. So um, yeah, I mean, until next time, be sure to constantly try and push your boundaries, constantly do the things that you are longing to do and uh, be the hero that you want to be. So um, thank you very much, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and comment and share. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe.
podcast on iTunes. And don't forget to rate and leave a comment.